0: And everybody gets it back again. Don't take no mess at the Rose Garden. Pays us there on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other oh, teams can't it. How they win that game today. There's just one thing you can say. How
1: to start shoot that three. Believe me, it, it ain't easy.
0: How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe me, it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dog that's in your lap.
1: Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I am Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to on rosegardenreport.beehive, B-E-E-H-I-I-V.com. You can get free or premium subscriptions uh, for you know some written content versus all written content. You can get the podcast for free always on any of the usual platforms, Apple, Spotify, all of that stuff. We have a new guest today, a guest that I have been on his various shows many times over the years. This is his first time on here. The I've had his co-host, Danny Mareng, of the Jack Ramsey's podcast on before, and uh, he is also the co-host of Dirt and Sprague on uh, 1080 The Fan 6 to 9 a.m. weekdays. Brandon Sprague, how are you doing, man?
0: I'm good hiking. It's good to check this off the old bucket list here. I uh, I have a lot of friends in media in this city, thankfully, and people I get along with. I consider you to be one of them, and uh-huh. I love I love the content you put out. And so, you know, you asked me to hop on. I was pretty excited to do it.
1: Well, I was going to want to have you on anyway at some point, but I thought that this week would be a good time to do it because on Wednesday on your radio show, which again, Dirt and Spray, six to nine a.m. weekdays, ten eighty. You had you did something that I has not been done in a very very long time in this city. You have had the general manager of the local professional basketball team on your show for an interview on your station, and I I texted you when I saw that that you had Joe Cronin scheduled, and I was like, I, I asked you like honestly, when was the last time that uh, that Neil had done one of those? Like, I mean, obviously he did some stuff on. Uh, 620, which you know, that's the team affiliated station, so that's a little bit of a different thing. And it's just, it's been a long time since the general manager of the Portland Trail Blazers has actually been willing to do a radio hit.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty cool to look back and, and find out the last time the GM of the Blazers was on our radio station, let alone the home of it um on 620. It, it was nice to see that it had been so long that I had to search the archives. I had to go to a different website, and it was in 2013. And the funny thing about that, Sean, is he came on. This was Lillard going into year two. Yeah. And he had come on and one of the hosts was in. The other one was on vacation because they thought it was run of the mill. Oh, we'll talk to him today and then we'll catch up with him. That host went on to criticize him on television. He basically boycotted local media after that. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds about right. I know, and then Joe. Joe seems like a different dude, a really nice guy. And it was the as simplest, as su- shooting an email It's like, "Hey, we'd love to talk after free agency stuff kind of dies down and summer league is over." And you know, thankfully for us, they got a new comms department over there, and they said, "Sure, let's do it." So, uh, yeah, Rasan's
1: been awesome to just for, yeah. for those who aren't who those for those who aren't in the business and like know the names of like people behind the scenes, kind of with the organization. Rasan gathers who the Kings just hired. Or who the Blazers just hired very recently from Sacramento? Who I, you know, I had I had known for a long time because I, you know, gotten him to get me players when he was with the Kings. It's always been very helpful, been awesome to work with so far. But it does not surprise me that post December, it's been a lot easier to get that kind of stuff done. And I, I mean, this is I, if if you're listening to this and you think that this is kind of getting into some media inside baseball stuff that you don't care about, <laughs> it's bad. for the fans, Mm -hmm. when the GM and the people who are in charge of, you know, running an organization and building a roster and building the team that you're paying money for tickets, or you're paying for a cable package to watch on TV, just will not ever talk and will not ever answer questions about the roster. Because I mean, I consider, you know, us in media, me as a beat writer, you as a radio host, our job at the end of the day is to ask, the questions that the fans want to know the answers to and try to get answers to them. And it's bad for everybody when the people who actually make a lot of those decisions are never available and are never willing to be transparent. Are you following
0: what's going on with the Knicks right now? I did see that they had a presser for Brunson and basically it was their state run media. It was their own, you know, entities that they had hired. They're not allowing outside media to be involved with anything right now. Not only that, but Leon Rose, who is the Knicks president of basketball
1: operations, was a very powerful agent at at CAA for a number of years. Before that, he was Carmelo Anthony's agent. He was LeBron's agent at one point before LeBron and Rich Paul started clutch. Uh, He took the job almost three years ago. He has not ever given a press conference in that time. Like not when he took the job in early 2020 before COVID, not after any of the seasons that he's run the team, not on any of the media days, not after any trades, not after any free agent signings, he has not addressed the media one time. And the thing that was wild to me about it was like because of the the, the Brunson thing, that was like probably the biggest free agent signing that they've had since he took over. And you know they, they didn't do a press conference for it with outside media. There aren't isn't MSG affiliated were you know invited. There was some outrage about it from some media members on Twitter. Uh, I saw a tweet from Stefan Bondi from the Daily News, who has his own history of kind of being blacklisted by the organization for being critical. Like, that's a whole other thing. But I saw a lot of the replies from fans who were, like, cheering the Knicks for not letting media in because I think, like, some of the fans, like, think that the media covers them too negatively or, like, you know, what's the point? You guys are not going to ask any good questions any. Like I saw a lot of that public sentiment that it's actually good that this these organizations are not being accountable and being transparent. And I realized that like it's kind of silly to talk about like, you know, needing to hold people accountable when we're covering sports. It's not, you know, it's not like we're covering national security. We're not covering like the January 6th trials or anything that's like life and death like that, but These are multi-billion dollar businesses and fans pay a lot of money to buy tickets and buy merchandise and buy jerseys and whatever else. And it's better for everybody when the people who are involved are willing to actually address the people publicly.
0: Yeah, I I just I think it kind of lines up, uh, you know, bigger conversation off of it would be like it kind of lines up with just the, the general distrust that people have, I think, with any form of media at this point, like sports, politics, life, yeah. whatever. Like it all feels like it's kind of one big jumbled thing now for people. And it's a lot of, Hey, you know, I don't, Oh, I don't like your opinion. I don't trust you. Oh, you're slanted. You're biased. And yeah, everybody's always looking for an angle. And so I, I think it kind of just lines up with that, that kind of reaction, those same people would also at some point probably be begging somebody to get in there to ask a question that maybe is a little uncomfortable. And I always kind of viewed it as, what is really the the con to being accessible to media? You could respond and say, well, being criticized. Okay, sure, but like you're going to get criticized either by your boss or the fans are going to let you know at the game. So big, bad old little media reporter just having a comment or asking a difficult question isn't really going to put you in that much of a, a different spot. So I've never really quite understood the approach by organizations that do that. And I mean, you're a Chicago guy, right? So- I think of Chicago, I listen to a lot of different sports radio stations. 670 is a sister station for our company, and it's one of the premier stations in the country. They just celebrated their 30th anniversary. Yeah. They, at the end of the Garpacks regime in Chicago, when the Bulls were, like, really bullsing themselves into a total restart and and new direction, Garpacks were still, like, both of those guys were still coming on the radio station. So even in the midst of being awful and making no good moves, you're still getting the media access. And I look across the country and like Daryl Morey, whether it's Houston, whether it's Philly, this dude's doing weekly interviews. I just, some of these guys make themselves completely accessible and others just shut themselves in. And, And I think to a certain extent, they actually create more animosity, not only with some media, not all, but some, but also the fans who never get to hear any real explanation. You know, when Neil would come on, he would polish the turd, and he'd say, "Hey, this is a championship-contending team. This is a Western Conference Final legitimate squad." And we'd watch him play, and we go, eh, "No, it's not." And and there'd never be a pushback because he's only available to the media here once a year. So I, I just, I, I guess, I never really understood the con of 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 wanting to do media. And and if Joe doesn't make a hundred percent great moves, I've been critical of him already. But that doesn't have to change that we still ask the questions and he provide his insight there because people may not be happy with it, but at least they understand or get a glimpse of the way he is kind of viewing things through his prism. Yeah, and I mean, I think it could kind of go too far the other way too. You mentioned Daryl Morey. I feel
1: like a lot of the national NBA media, without kind of naming any names, but like a lot of people are very, 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 soft on Daryl Morey or like, like during the whole Ben Simmons stuff, there was just a lot of just like the group think among a lot of like the national outlets was, well, if there's one thing we know about Daryl Morey, it's that he is an incredible negotiator and he will just hold out and get the best possible deal. And I feel like a lot of that was coming from Daryl Morey returns your texts and Daryl Morey will give you the time (laughs) of day. And so you're more inclined to, you know, give, give, you know, his, you know, be sympathetic, which, you know it, it's something you know for me as as a reporter like I never really had a relationship with the past general manager in Portland because I was never important enough for him to give the time of day to I have a I, you know we're still in the process of getting to know each other I would say I have a pretty good relationship with Joe just based on the last six months like we've you know we've had some good conversations on and off the record you know we've I feel like there's like a mutual respect that we have for one another, which is, Mm -hmm. is healthy. But now it's my job to not just because I have a good personal relationship with the guy. If he makes a move. And I think most of the moves that he's made so far have been pretty good. I haven't, I don't think he's had a perfect, you know, six months, but he's by and large, I think the team is in a better place than it was six months ago when he took over. But now it's my job to just because I have a good relationship with the guy on a personal level, not just always be, you know, try, you know, trying to like make apologies for him if he does something that I think is not a good move later on, or if he does something that's unpopular and not, you know, it, it's always very, it's always very obvious if you if you're in this long enough, and you see the way a different, you know, people and different outlets report on different people, you can always kind of tell by the tone of somebody's coverage, who they're getting their information from. Sure. And so it's something you kind of have to guard against as a reporter, like being seduced by a guy being willing to go on your show or being willing to give you an interview and not, you know, not turn that into, well, you know, this guy's my friend. I'm just going to, you know, present his side of this, of the, of what's going on at all times. So it's like, it's kind of a line to walk, but I will say it's, it's a lot nicer now to have, You know, the ability to actually reach out to the people in charge and actually be able to get some answers about different things as opposed to the way things were run for the last 10 years up until
0: December. I mean, for me, I I mean, I knew it was a new regime. It's been a new regime for a minute, but I I think for me personally, and I I agree with everything you just said there, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the Nurkic contract. And that's, you know, th- that's like one example of just because I talked to somebody doesn't mean I'm going to be buddying up and telling them everything they did was rainbows and unicorns. But, you know, I think for me, it was kind of when we got that email and it was like, yeah, he'll he'll come on and he'll be able to come on tomorrow at at this time. I It kind of hit me of like, okay, this, this thing is going to be different. I don't know if it's going to be good. I don't know if I'll agree with everything along the journey. But as somebody who does a radio show, which is obviously different than what you're doing, um, as a beat guy, you know it's it's something that I can look forward to and say, okay, the, the vibe is going to be different, access is going to be a little bit different, and that's a good thing. I think for my audience, I think it's going to be a great thing for your audience and everybody else's audience out there. Is that it's just a different approach to it because it doesn't need to be this versus that. It doesn't need to be an enemy kind of relationship. It can be very cordial, respectful don't always agree on everything that's what sports is gonna breed but it doesn't have to be a disrespectful thing where you fail to acknowledge somebody's existence for a decade and i think sadly we had slipped into that point with the last one getting into some of the actual
1: stuff that you guys went into in this interview with joe on wednesday morning which those of you who missed it you know you guys can go on the 1080 the fan website or onto the uh you know, whatever your usual podcast feed is on Dirt and Sprague's podcast feed. They have all that stuff up. I actually, for paying Rose Garden Report subscribers, I did a post uh, yesterday where I transcribed some of the more, you know, interesting stuff and some of the stuff that Joe hadn't really talked about publicly before and kind of transcribed some of that and gave my own thoughts. And I actually have a link to the the full segment that you can go get there if you want to, you know, kind of kill two birds with one stone, you know, support, Me and also support them by, you know, listening to the to to it from there. Like one of the things you brought up early on in the interview was the hiring of Mike Schmitz and Joe gave kind of a timeline for how that all unfolded. I was I hadn't realized that they only really started recruiting him at the combine. I thought that it had kind of started happening before that. So that was good to know. But I was glad that you brought up this new emphasis that they have on international scouting which is something that Mike Schmitz in his role at ESPN and Yahoo and Draft Express before that that was one of his specialties he was one of the guys that was out there at every single one of these tournaments all over the world all of these you know FIBA things these you know AAU things here you know all these college events he was you know he's had like this database of people of of all these draft prospects and all these relationships over the last 15 years and it blew my mind when Joe Crow, the, he, he didn't even like make a big deal out of this, but he just, you know, at exit interviews in April, he was talking about, you know, some of the changes that he was allowed to make. At that point, he hadn't been hired as the full-time GM. He was still the interim. And he was talking about, you know, the, the uh, changes that ownership had empowered him to make even without the full-time tag. And he just casually said, we just hired a second international scout. And I was just like, what? Like, you only had one before. Like you, the the two time reigning MVP is non American. the the uh, the guy who won the last two MVPs before that is non American. And also, both of those guys were not you know obvious you know number one you know you know top three picks like Luca was. Those guys were both like under the radar guys. Like, how did the team only have one international scout under the previous GM? So I was glad that you asked Joe about that this new emphasis on international scouting.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you know it's it's kind of a dumb thing to say, I guess. But when we found out we got him, I instantly, you know, I got home and I'm I'm like I'm sitting down. I'm like, what what do I care about? What what do I want to know? Because you know everybody gives you a thought. Hey, I want you ask about this. Ask about that. Ask about this. And this the thing that kind of sucks from the radio or recording standpoint is unless you're in person, there's a timestamp on it, right? You got x, you got x amount of minutes. So like, what can you get in? And one of my biggest takeaways, I was right there with you. That when we found that out, that they had one international scout. In fact, I think I remember talking about it on my radio show of just how obscene that is and how people should care more about this if they don't. Because you looked at the league and we knew the league had become international largely after the dream team. Like this, everybody loved basketball and, and all these countries. And we think of the 04 stuff. And you look at the top, I thought you put a good point in your article the top four or five players in the league are probably international-born players, and we got multiple All three of this year's
1: MVP voting finalists, Embiid, Jokic, and Giannis, all three. Embiid's a little bit of a different situation because he did play in college in America at Kansas, but all three of those guys are non-Americans.
0: He's a Cameroon-born guy, and he played basketball like three years before he got to Kansas, so it's just like— How can you only have one scout that blew my mind when I saw it? I was pissed off. It was one of those things that I thought. And I'm like, of course, this team lacked an international. We went back and looked at me and Danny on the podcast. I looked back at the draft picks. And I think we concluded that he never, Neil never drafted an international guy. Like we went through it and we're like, holy crap. It doesn't mean he didn't pick them in terms of signing them or bringing them in, but I don't think he ever drafted them. And I I had thought back uh, real quickly to share a story on this. Sean, I had read the Giannis book last summer. It's, it's a great book. I highly advise people to read. It's a great story.
1: Yeah, Miran's a friend. That book is amazing. She, you she's top-notch. Get that.
0: You should always read Mirren. Um, but she has a blurb like in the fourth chapter, I think, where it talks about Giannis getting drafted. And the guy who ran the Bucks had gotten wind of Giannis. Danny Ferry had gotten wind to Giannis. And, and look, CJ was great. It was a very successful partnership. And I understand why not every team's willing to roll the dice. But there's a blurb in there about how more and more throughout the Giannis timeline, teams were catching wind of who he was and what he could be as a prospect. And the Bucs were willing to roll the dice. The Celtics and the Hawks weren't willing to, you know, trade up, and trade down to get him. And so it's just interesting. And I'm like, I always wondered why Portland – Did they ever look at Giannis? And my conclusion is there's no chance they knew anything about him because they had one international scout, and there's no way that scout knows about this third-tier professional player that's 18 years old. You don't know he's going to become what he is, but it goes to show you like, scouting departments internationally and how vital they are to this league because the talent is so deep. You mentioned Jokic as well, a second-round pick. Yeah, some of these teams get lucky. But you know what? It pays to have some of that look on your side because you're willing to put in the work to know that there's talent outside of the United States. So I was hugely excited that they brought in Schmitz because I had heard that he was incredibly connected on the international circuit. Every country that guy's gone to, he knows somebody and they know where to take him to go find the talent. So that was kind of one of my top things uh, I was actually curious about of all the things that have happened this summer was asking about the international scouting because the league is so international heavy now. Well, you want a funny story about kind of the early
1: expectations of Giannis. Um, A few years ago, I I want to say this was like 2016 or 2017. It was when I was still living in Chicago. I was at the combine and I was talking to somebody who at the time was working in the Bucks front office and, and was also, was in the organization when they drafted Giannis in 2013. And what this person told me was that when they drafted him they're in their mind, like, you know, these, these teams always have these, like this is what we think this guy can become. This is who, you know, the career comp, like this is who we think, you know, best case, worst case, all that kind of stuff. Their best case scenario, like hopeful outcome for Giannis in terms of whose career he might have and who which player he might be as good as was Andre Kirilenko who was a pretty good NBA good player. player. For, yeah. he He's a guy, like if you want to talk about guys who maybe played 10 years before their time and would just yep. be incredible today. Yep. But like they thought that, you know, you know Andre Kulinko, you know, good long career, was an all-star a couple times. If you get that with a 15th pick, that's a win. They didn't think, even the Bucs when they drafted Giannis, didn't think he'd turn into, you know, a two-time MVP and – arguably the best player in the world right now (laughs) and it's also kind of an extreme example with Jokic too you know you you can't really expect there to be another uh guy who's picked 41st overall and then wins back-to-back MVPs that just isn't something you can expect to happen but hiring somebody like Mike Schmitz who if there's anybody who knows about these guys going back to when they're 12 or 13 or whatever and they start playing in these you know under fifteen, you know, international tournaments and showcases. If there's anybody who's going to know either either have seen them in person or have a relationship with a scout in another country or somebody who's or a coach or whoever who has seen them and can put him onto them, it's going to be Mike Schmidt. And so I think the hope with the hire and just with this, you know, this you know the, some of these other changes that they've made is that whoever the next Jokic is, not in terms of like somebody being that good, but whoever the next guy is that's maybe under the radar that not every team is in on, you can now be one of the teams that's actually in on them and not one of the teams where, you know, you draft a guy in the second round, he's an all-star, he's an all-NBA guy, and then the fans of 29 other fan ba- of, t- of twenty nine other teams, all the other fan bases are like, why didn't we get that guy in the second round? We could have mm-hmm.
0: had Yeah, 100%, and I, I think that's, that's kind of what Schmitz brings. I mean, he brings a lot, but... That's that's going to be the benefit of having somebody like that with that front office is just the knowledge. And, and look, I think everything you just said there, expectations of some of these players, you can't ever project, I think, the 41st pick in the draft or Giannis at, what, 15 to become what they are. Milwaukee had Jabari uh, Jabari Parker, right? So they, they thought they had their Batman and Giannis was going to be the complimentary piece. He becomes an all-time great. You don't know that's going to happen. It's just, Sean, simply the fact of, having the intel and the information like that in itself is a vital asset and you know when you got one international scout you're not really looking that that direction you're instead going to a university of portland game and leaving after a behind the back pass because some <laughs> kid that backs up against Zacka makes it 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 just it gives your team i guess that whether it's a quarter of an inch or a full inch whatever it is that much more of a chance to maybe find that super important rotational piece or starting lineup piece that most people aren't as plugged in on.
1: And that's, you know, this is a point that I've also made before uh, about the Mike Schmitz hire. We'll move on to some other stuff. But just the last thing I want to say about this is that before he took this job, when he was still working on the media side, he had relationships with all of the other front offices in the league and they would all bounce stuff off of him and like ask him, Hey, we're looking at this guy. What have you heard about him? And it would be that kind of thing where all of the teams would rely on his intel. If you hire him, you take that info and that, you know, that asset away from the other 29 teams. So you're helping yourself and you're hurting your competition at the same time. So just from a competitive advantage standpoint, that's another reason why, I think it made a lot of sense for them to bring him in. Moving on to some other stuff uh, it, from from the interview that you guys had. One thing I also thought was interesting was when you guys asked Joe about what roles uh, the two rookies, Shaden Sharp and Jabari Walker, were going to have. And Joe said flat out, if those guys come in and come to training camp and show that they're worthy of minutes, Chauncey's going to give them minutes. And I thought that was... Uh, I, I thought I thought that's interesting. I think that's a good way of approaching it. I mean, there were certain, you know, Terry Stotts for nine years uh, was very, very, very hesitant to ever give young players a lot of minutes unless it was like a Dame situation where he, you know, he was a franchise player and he was so good right away that, you know, that was the whole point. But with Chauncey, I know Chauncey, his hand was kind of forced last year with this team you know rebuilding and tanking and just getting you know going the direction that it went and he basically only had these young guys to play but it seems like I I, I'm skeptical personally of how much Shaden Sharp is going to play and you and I have texted about this and kind of debated this before but it sounds like all of these younger guys and some of these less proven guys are going to actually have an opportunity to come into training camp and force the issue
0: yeah I mean I think um you get an answer from somebody. It's funny how we can hear the same answer. And, and and a lot of people can have different interpretations of what the answer means. My takeaway. And, and yeah, you're right. We, we text about Shaden and you know, you came on my radio show and you're like, eh, probably about Anthony Simon's type minutes, his rookie year, which I think we looked up and it was about seven, 7.1. And, and, and I, I don't, I think you're kind of right on my pushback isn't against you. It's just like, it took him seventh. And I know that he's raw. I know he hasn't played in a year. I know he's skinny. I just I think when you get those players in this league, you got to give them minutes. Like throw them to the Wolves. Let's see what you have. What are you made of? Can you stay healthy? I'm not talking 25 minutes here, but I'd love to see them get shaded. To me, my biggest takeaway from that from Joe, I, I definitely think he told us without telling us Jabari's playing. And and if Jabari, who just had a pretty good summer league. Can come in and show some of that similar stuff in 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 not only training camp but the preseason. I I think Chauncey and I'm talking like nine tenth tenth guy here. I'm not talking like he's serious high level rotational minutes, but I think his body, just his size and the way that he his game kind of is, where he doesn't he can play a lot of off ball. He's not a ball dominant guy. You can he moves around. He doesn't just stand in a corner like Al Farouk, Aminu, he is an active dude. He seems like he has a passing ability here. He shot what? 37%, 38% from 3 in summer league. Look, a lot a lot a lot of steps to go here, but I took away more so Shaden will have an opportunity to prove he gets minutes. We'll see how that goes. I think Jabari because of the size and because of the lack of depth that they have with size, I took away that Joe's basically telling us Jabari's going to play. Now we'll see how true that is, but that was kind of my biggest takeaway. Between the two young guy answers that he gave us,
1: I would agree with that. And I would say the clue that he's going to get minutes is that they signed him to a real NBA contract. Because right. Yes, that's a good point. They had an open two way spot. Brandon Williams has one of the two two way spots. They had an open two way spot. I just assumed that when they draft somebody that late in the second round, number 57 overall, that that would, you know, you when you draft someone that, you know, that late, you don't expect them to actually be, you know, contributors right away. And so it's like a trend in Watford situation where you sign a guy to a two-way and then maybe as the season progresses, he, you know, proves that he's worthy of an actual roster spot and you convert his contract later on. But, you know, especially with, with Portland, you know, being so close to the luxury tax and so close to, you know, and only having one open roster spot, like the fact that he showed enough halfway through Summer League that they gave him an actual roster spot and he said, here's a guaranteed contract. Here's an actual roster spot. You're you're not going to have to fight for a two-way spot. To me, that just says, yeah, they do think that he can contribute right away. And I, we were out there talking to him a bunch at Summer League. And I just love the self-awareness that he has. I love the mentality that he has. I love... That he talked about because his his dad is his, you know most of you already know this but his dad is Samaki Walker who had a ten year NBA career. career as a yeah. role player he was on the he was on one of those Lakers championship teams he was on the Spurs for a couple of years he played for a, a number of different teams but he was never a star he was always kind of a role player and Jabari told us that he thinks it's to his advantage that his dad had had a long NBA career and was never a star because his dad always taught him that when somebody says you're a role player, that's not an insult. That just means you have other ways to contribute and you can make a lot of money and stick in the league if you embrace that stuff. So the fact that this 19 year old kid is coming in talking about, I embrace being a role player. Like that to me says like they can give him minutes and he's going to find ways to be effective. Even if it's not like, I think with Shayden sharp, if they do throw him out there, they would want it to be in a situation where he's going to get a lot of shots and get a lot of looks and, have a lot of possessions and when you're playing with you know Dame and Ant and Jeremy Grant like I don't know where those shots are coming from that's why I'm a little bit more skeptical of how many minutes Shaden is going to get his rookie year but I think Jabari just because of so many other things that he's already shown that he's able to do it's going to be a lot easier for them to just kind of plug him into different lineups and he'll be able to find a way to stay out there
0: yeah, I think I think it's going to have to be on Chauncey, which is, you know, entirely separate to Joe here. But Joe kind of acknowledged in the interview, like Chauncey's going to get I think Joe used the term funky. And I, I thought that was a good way of putting it because, you know, Terry took a lot of flack for that last year. I, I thought a lot of that was misguided social media noise. But the one thing we can agree on and you mentioned it, is Terry didn't play youngsters and Terry got very, very bogged down with the rotations. Everything was the same. Everybody's, you know, when you're coming off, when you're going out. And that's, you know, a lot of coaches have that. I think Chauncey, similar to kind of Ty Lue showed us this a little bit in Cleveland and he's shown us it with the Clippers. I think Chauncey is just willing to mix it up and get weird. And they're going to have small ball five. You know, they're going to have Jeremy Grant probably running the five a couple times, a Justice Winslow. And it won't be for heavy minutes, but we'll see what that's like. And I think Chauncey's going to be willing to mix this up. And, and I don't know how Shaden fits into that, but I, I think there is an aspect of top 10 pick uh high level athlete supposed to be a great shooter. You know, he had a sweet little turnaround jump shot before he injured his shoulder in summer league. I just think there's a natural intrigue with this city and this fan base where, yeah, we've been burned before in the draft, but I, I choose to live in optimism here. And so I don't, I don't go to the, well, he could be this, he could be that. I go with the, let's see what he has. Let's see what kind of feel he has for the game. And I don't know who'd be on the court with him and how that works. But I think if anybody's going to do it, it's definitely going to be Chauncey. Because Chauncey understands this roster's not complete. They're going to be getting beat, I think, in a lot of ways because of their lack of size. But they also got a lot of dogs on that team. And it's going to be a team that plays hard every single night. And so can Chauncey manage or find a way to get Shaden some more minutes, maybe more than you threw out there at seven, is there a way to find him that spot if he's healthy and he can't play? I would love to see it just because I think it's more beneficial for his growth. You bring up the lack of
1: size, and that's something that you brought up with Joe Cronin in your guys' radio hit. And he he was honest that he think you know, he agrees that the roster isn't totally balanced as far as size and as far as what depth they have at different positions. And I've said basically since they made all of their offseason moves that if there's one thing that I think they're still lacking, it's another rim protector outside of Nurkic because you can basically count on at this point, Nurkic ever since the leg injury, he's going to miss 15 to 20 games every year or more. That's just kind of the reality with him, which is, you know, a reason why you and I both kind of questioned Giving him all four years guaranteed mm. on that deal, but
0: no, oh, Sean, you kill me with that tweet. would you announce I saw your tweet from uh, the contract company. I'm like, oh my god, four guarantee? What are yeah, we doing I had, here?
1: I had just assumed. I mean, I, I, the, 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 the per year money was kind of where I thought it was going to be based on what I had heard, but I had thought that there was going to be like a team option or some sort of injury protections. I mean, that's a whole other discussion. But the point being that with Nurkic's injury history. Let's say he misses 15 to 20 games, which I think is a pretty safe thing to pencil in, just given the way the last few years have gone with him. Your backup center at that point is Drew Eubanks, who Chauncey likes a lot. And I know that like they had a couple of options at center, you know, with different like minimum guys they could have signed. And Chauncey was one of the guys who was like pushing really hard to get him to bring him back because he really liked what he brought since they signed him to a 10 day contract in the middle of last year and then kept him on. Chauncey was a big advocate for him but they don't really have a rim protector outside of Nurkic and from from, from your standpoint what, how do you see like that going or like how do you see the the center minutes rotation shaking out if something does happen to
0: Nurkic uh, not great <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if there's any other answer uh to say I I think even the most optimistic a Blazer fan would tell you that's a huge that's a huge area it's a huge red flag it's why I wanted to know what Joe thought and you know, I again that this goes into well a good answer but it doesn't mean anything. Sure, I get that, but I appreciate honesty of yeah, we knew we weren't going to build a perfect roster we know we're lacking in size, but and then he kind of gives his idea of how maybe the roster can work this way if that scenario is to play out and and I have no reason to believe it won't because I think even you said just is right about Nurk. If Nurk is missing 15 games, here's the other part of this. If you go back and listen, he he doesn't he doesn't pencil in Drew Eubanks as the backup big. He actually said Trendon Watford, and then he says he thinks Drew. He hopes Drew can push for some minutes. So I'm not even convinced that Drew Eubanks would be their backup center in that spot. I maybe he would because he kind of gives them the most length and size mixed with athleticism they have in that spot. But I don't. I don't know 100 that that's where they'd go. I I would have loved to have seen them go get just. Anybody, anybody above 6'10, that's, you know, enough to play 12 to 15 a night to give the big guy some rest because we know he can't play heavy minutes even when he is healthy, it's gonna be a big factor. They're gonna play the Denvers and the Sixers and the Raptors of the world, the Cavaliers, and I just I'm sure they'll fight tooth and nail on the boards because Chauncey will be pushing that, but I have a hard time seeing them really be able to contain those teams, they can't even do it when they have a healthy big man situation. Cause how good some of those bigs are, but you catch my point of they are severely outsized. And that backup five is a huge hole for me. I, maybe it's you bank Sean, but the, the vibe I got from Joe and we'll see if Chauncey kind of echoes this in camp is it might be Watford. And that just seems odd to me because he's like six, seven. So you're going to run six, three, six, three, six, five, six, seven, six, seven. I, you're gonna get out. You're gonna get beat in a lot of ways when you run against some of these other teams in this league that way, and especially because it feels like a lot of teams are
1: going back. Like there, there was a time for really a lot of the last decade that the whole thing was well. Every it's a small ball league now, and centers are kind of out. We're starting to see that kind of go the other way now. You just saw Minnesota go fully the other way, bringing in Gobert to put next to Cat. And then, you know, Cleveland, when all their guys were healthy, had a lot of success last year with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley playing together. Like, there are other teams that are now kind of going back to, you know, we're going to actually play two bigs. And I'm not saying that Portland needs to, you know, be a copycat team and play that way now that, you know, other teams are going that way. But to me, you have to have the ability to play that way if you're in a matchup where that – uh that, you know, that's the best thing to do. And outside of Nurkic, they just don't really have anybody else that you can put out there to counter one of those lineups. And so I think if there's a weakness with this roster as we go into, you know, late July, early August. One thing I appreciated about Joe's interview, and you know, also, this has been consistent with stuff that he's said in his other press conferences, something he said to you when you asked him if they were basically done making moves is, you'll never hear me say that we're done, which Is a huge change of pace from the last guy who you know would never carry more than fourteen players in a roster, and would just you know they sign a couple of you know guys on the margins, and he'd be like, "Oh, this is the deepest team that we've had since we started building around Dame." And then with Joe, talk. I don't know. I don't think they really have any realistic more moves to make, just because they're so close to the uh, you know the luxury tax line, and they're so close to the hard cap, and they just don't have a lot of moves. To make, they'd have to open up a roster spot. They don't really have a lot of picks to trade if they want to get like a, a, another like impact guy. So I think this is like pretty close to what the roster is going to be going into camp, just guessing. But I did like that even after this, you know, this big offseason where they brought in Jeremy Grant, they brought in Gary Payton, they, you know, have two guys that they drafted that they think are going to be, you know, impact guys. Joe is still coming out and saying, we know we're not good enough. We don't think this is a title contender yet.
0: Which is really important because it, it helps to kind of reset expectation. I Doing the Jack Ramsey's thing with Danny, I, I think what we've seen largely since the season kind of came to an end and then it went into the summer is, you know, it seemed like a lot of fans that we had interacted with, expectations were largely the same. And then, you know, mo- a draft pick happens, not a trade. Um, you get Grant, but this is what you got from trading CJ. And then you you give GP2 a pretty good contract for, you know, a guy coming off of your bench, but oh, he's 6'3. It just it kind of felt like as we've gone along, some, not all, maybe a small percentage even, but it, it felt like what I was hearing slash reading, whatever whatever you want to describe it, it felt like some were basically their expectations really weren't where they said they were they were actually significantly higher. And I I just – I personally, I never viewed it as a one-summer rebuild to get right back into the top four of the West. The West is going to be pretty damn hard. Um, There's already a lot of teams bringing the talent back. There's other teams, like you mentioned, Minnesota, that have revamped themselves. My my thing with it is always be looking to get better. I, I love that philosophy. I won't be shocked, though, and I don't know who is the casualty but I won't be shocked if Nurk does go down, if they do go out and go get a big. I don't know who that is. I don't know if it's on a team, if it's somebody sitting at home. But I, I, I have a hard time, as we talk about this now, I have a hard time believing they actually roll through the season. And they say, yeah, 6'9", Eubanks, 6'7", uh, and Watford. We're going to call it good. Those are our five, our backup, five situations. I think the other aspect, too, that people kind of overlook there's obviously huge what-ifs here, but if if Nas can stay healthy and Justice Winslow, uh, they're not break, make or break in your Western Conference title contention here, but I do think we're overlooking the idea that Nas could have gotten stronger. He may have gotten more skilled. They're going to look to him, I think, to be a primary defender when they're on that end of the ball. If he stays healthy, there's a piece. It, Justice Winslow... He's had a bit of a bumpy season, or a career, and it's not been the one many thought he'd have. But I thought he showed some flashes of decent things for Portland, even though they were openly tanking. Like I thought, that okay, that's somebody that if he comes back, he's got good size. He's, what, 6'8"? He's strong. He's got a firm body. He likes to play defense. That's another piece. Like Those are two guys, for example, nobody's talked about. And I think Joe made it clear even before the summer, I'm going to be looking – towards those guys he mentioned to quick uh winslow specifically in name and Nas got hurt at the end of the year and couldn't play danny told me that he looked bigger at summer league so i i think those are pieces and ways that people have to reevaluate this team instead of just saying well who did you trade for who did you draft who did you sign it goes a little deeper than uh, uh, than that for this team because of those two pieces that people largely overlook
1: I'm so interested. I'm glad you brought up Nasir because I'm so interested in what he's going to look like this year and what kind of role he's going to have. Because you want to talk about a guy who has just had the worst luck his entire career with health stuff and injury stuff. Because remember, his rookie season, before this COVID shutdown, he wasn't playing that much because, as we've talked about, Terry Stotts just doesn't really like playing rookies in the bubble he you know during one of the practices before the games even start he you know collapses from heat stroke and then he has a concussion and he's ruled out for the bubble and then going into his second season which was the you know COVID season he gets COVID in training camp and this was before the vaccine was out and so he got it like really really bad like you know he did this whole interview with Jason Quick at the Athletic after he got it where he talked about just how much it kicked his ass and he lost 20 or 30 pounds. And it basically took him until halfway into the season to get back into shape because he had, you know, his body had just been so destroyed by getting COVID. And then last season he finally started like he looked like he was like carving out a role for himself and kind of coming into his own as a role player. And then he has this season ending shoulder surgery. So The thing that I think is encouraging is that all of this stuff that's happened to him is like freak stuff. So it's not like you can say, oh, he has this one knee thing that keeps bothering him and that's going to be a recurring thing. So if he can stay healthy, I do think that's a guy who can actually contribute for them. And this is going to be what's really going to be interesting is are they going to come to some sort of extension with him before the deadline? Because I know that, you know, they they like him still. They value him. But has he shown them enough even with all these injuries? to be worth doing that for. I guess all that to say, I'm very interested to see who wins the starting small forward spot. I think it's going to be Nasir just because of the size. And because I think Josh Hart makes more sense as the ball handler for the second unit, because outside of Damon and they don't really have anybody who can like bring the ball up. So, you know, Nasir is somebody like you. He's somebody that I'm very interested in uh, figuring out, you know, what his role is going to be.
0: Yeah. I think, I think, um, I think he's going to start at the three. I think it's going to be, you know, Dame, Ant, Nas, Nurk, and Grant. I think that's your five. And then, you know, I think you're right on heart. He comes off GP two comes off. Um, and, and that's, this is, that's going to be then where Chauncey can get creative and weird. Is it, is it Eubanks? Is it Watford? Is it, you know, how justice fits into that rotation? Do they bring in a big at some point if they need to, and who, how do they stagger Dame Ant, um, I don't know. I I don't think their starting five is really that bad. And I I just think, again, if, 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 which is unfortunate because of everything you just outlined, if Nas stays healthy, I think that's a player that's good. You know, he's a guy that contributes and he's a guy that his stats might not jump off the page. But I think you look on the defensive side where we're still struggling with defensive metrics in this league. I think we're going to look and go, yeah, okay, he gets you a blank amount of points and shoots blank percentage from three. But we know when they go on the defensive side of the ball, he's he's logging heavy minutes against some of the other team's best players. And I think that's going to be important because of what they've got in that starting lineup defensively. One other thing, we'll get out of here on this, one other
1: thing that you brought up to Joe Cronin in this interview that you guys did the other day that I was really glad you brought up because this is something that I've been very interested in for a long time and it's something that I'm in the process of doing some more you know, looking into shall we say but you brought up the fact that uh the Blazers are currently one of two like Phoenix used to have one and then they sold it to Detroit and now they don't have one so uh the Blazers are currently one of two teams that does not have their own G League team Mm -hmm. and for me to me that's been something that they've needed to do for a long time and you brought that up to Joe on the radio and he said that like it has to make sense as far as location and the money they're spending and whatever but that this is something that they're interested in doing and it's something that they're actively looking at so like what like what did you make of that and what is kind of your your thought on kind of that whole you know that discussion
0: yeah i mean truth be told <laughs> i when i sat down to go over things i wanted to bring up that international scouting were actually at the top of my selfish yeah. list of hey i really care about this i think this is important even if it's not about roster construction but it kind of does impact it because you don't have an affiliate in vancouver you don't have something at the, the hoop in beaverton or playing at psu in downtown or you know, bend oregon i don't know you know what i mean like i was just at the hoop the other day for dame's uh youth camp yeah, it's a good facility. Like, and it you is. could put some seats in there, and you know, get enough people. I'd go out to those games as a fan. I could probably do the media thing too, but I, I, lo- I love basketball, and I love to see that kind of level of the next tier guys. You find Gary Payton uh, seconds of the world all the time in that league. Uh, I, I think it's coming, but I think what you hinted on in your article, what you hinted on on Twitter, I think you're hitting the nail right on the head, and that that in itself is a little disappointing for me because I think you should be speeding into this. If you were to give truth serum to that front office, the you know, the assistant GM scouts and Joe, I'd be willing Sean to wager that the truth comes out of, yeah, we we'd like one right now actually. We'd love to be more proactive than we even are. They know they need it. He basically acknowledged that. They talk about it, but there's as you've highlighted several times through your reporting, there's something kind of hanging this thing up and I think until that thing gets resolved, I'd love to be shocked and be wrong here, but I have a hard time believing that it's it's coming any time in the next year or two, and, and I'd like to see it sooner than that, but I think what you've hinted at and the reason they haven't had it is dead on, and I think that's kind of where we're sitting right now, unfortunately. Something Joe said in that answer to that
1: question that I thought was interesting was that it it's not only an important thing for player development, but he also brought up staff development.
0: Staff development, and you yeah. look
1: at, uh, like Denver. Th- this was the first year that the Nuggets actually had their own G League team, and the head coach of their G—I don't know if you knew this, but I, I you know, I was down at the, at the G League showcase in Vegas in December, so, uh, and so I got to see it a little bit up close. The head coach of the of the Nuggets uh, G League team was Jason Terry. And he just, you know, after one year as a G League head coach, he just took a job with Will Hardy in Utah on his staff with the Jazz. And, you know, you look at around the league, like in Oklahoma City, Mark Dagnall, who's their head coach now, started out as a coach on their G League staff and kind of came up through their, their whole, you know, system of, I guess, coach development, if you want to call it that. And now, you know, he's the head coach and, you know, the, I think the most high profile example is Nick Nurse, who was the head coach of the Raptors 905 G League team, and then got a job on the staff. And then he got the head coaching job. And now he's considered one of the best head coaches in the NBA. Like, and also like for guys in Joe, like, I, you know, Joe Cronin is a guy himself, like he came up, you know, he started as an intern, and then he was a cap guy. And then he stuck around and he got the interim job. There are other front office executives, like, who are, you know, kind of the up and coming guys, like, I just brought up Oklahoma City. Uh, Nazi Muhammad is the GM of the Oklahoma City Blue. I met, you know, I met him and talked to him. I mean, I covered him back in Chicago for one year, but I talked to him at the showcase. And the Thunder view him as an up-and-coming front office executive, and they think that him having this experience running a G League team is going to be good for his career. So if the Blazers want to be a modern organization and one that, you know, is doing everything that they can to contend and just be, you know, the best that they can be across the board. It's just like the stuff you and I talked about and you talked about with Joe with the international scouting. You have to bring that stuff into the 21st century. And I think that having a G League team is kind of the same way.
0: Well, and, and Sean, I know there's, we're talking about advanced technology these teams have here. And I don't yeah. know if you'd agree with this assessment, but, Even when Portland had – where they'd send guys – they had at one point like some Idaho thing. They'd send these guys to Idaho or something. Yeah. You know, let's just use the Hoop and Beaverton just as an example here. Whether it's the Hoop and Beaverton or or another local-ish place, I also think there's a a pretty big benefit in having a day where Joe says, well, I'm going to drive out and I'm going to go watch these guys, right? Because it's not like you're always – if you're sending them to a different affiliate – you're seeing it in person. Tape is great. You can break a lot of things down. You can get assessments. But having the actual roster construction architect there or a coach on an off day be able to go watch those guys in person, you know, that's a small benefit, but it's a benefit nonetheless. So I'm kind of to the point where I wish they just expedite this, look past the ownership question marks that may linger And just start it. I I think it would be huge for them. And, you know, I also think secretly Portland, uh, if it's in the metro area, I think would actually support it pretty decently just because we love the team so much here in this city. And you'd be looking at potentially the next prospect. So not only goes to what you're saying with staff and everything, I think it just, it's a benefit to be able to be within driving distance on an off day and say, I'm going to go watch this guy in person because you can get a lot of things from tape. But sometimes you see some different things when you get to watch these players in person having the G League team you know in the same area is also so important
1: because mm-hmm. it, let's say you have a guy like Brandon Williams on a two-way contract or when you're on a two-way deal there's only so many days that you're allowed to uh, be with the, you know the NBA team and so the you know having them in the area if you know for example just Brandon Williams as an example because he's the guy who's currently under contract on a two-way if they want him to, you know, play in a G League game, but they want to use one of their two-way days to have him practice with the main team, they don't have to get him a flight. They don't have to, you know, get him out to Portland from Idaho or wherever. They can just, right? you know, hey, the G League team is playing in Salem or Vancouver. Like, we can just have, you know, you, you can, you know, come – into Tualatin for one day to practice with the team, and then you go back out to play mm-hmm. in the game with the G League team the next night. Like, having everything in the same area and having everything kind of in driving distance is so important.
0: Oh, 100%. I, you know, I got a little weird with Joe jokingly about, hey, why don't you go to Bend? Let's go to the coast. Like, whatever it takes. <laughs> Bend is, ben is pushing it a little bit. That's like a five-hour drive. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit far. Even the coast is like two hours, and yeah, yeah. you can make it work. But yeah, Salem, Beaverton, Vancouver, whatever it is, Hell, work out a deal with the Portland Pilots or the Vikings. Have the local facilities that you do have available to you. Whatever it takes. Like Hell, get a deal with the Mac Club over there by the the Providence Park. I don't really care. Just having it would be a necessity and something that could help this franchise even more. Years ago,
1: the previous general manager on the one national podcast that he ever was a regular guest on, uh, if you will... Was you know at one point brought up this was years ago I'd have to go back and find it but he he was asked about it one time and he just completely shut it down it was like look it just doesn't make financial sense for us and we don't use it enough and like we just we it it doesn't make sense to do and like he just completely shut down the idea of it so
0: right I want to Danny
1: Ainge that (laughs) the fact that Joe is even talking about you know this is something we're interested in whether you know ownership is willing to put up the money to run it and while the whole ownership situation is up in the air, I happen to think that the ownership stuff is going to get resolved sooner than people realize, which is something that I've written and said consistently. So maybe in the next year, we're talking about this as a possibility, but just hearing if you're a blazer fan, just hearing that this is something they're actively looking at and working on is I would say encouraging.
0: Yeah. I also, you know, you think it's financially, it's questionable. It doesn't make sense for us. Okay, so why is the entire league doing it? <laughs> I just, come on, man. Who who are we fooling here? I'm not telling you it's going to get you all these rotational players and superstars or anything, but like, who who are we fooling? I would rather have the chance to find a Pascal Siakam than not find a Pascal Siakam. Like, that's, that's where I would go with the thinking of having a G League, the benefits of a G League, what it can mean to you if it presents that opportunity from time to time. By any means, you take it. And if you're going to tell me, well, it's not really that important and it's not beneficial, okay, so 28 of the 30 teams are doing it. One of the teams that just joined that list that's not just recently changed it. So basically 99% of the league was doing it. But sure, you tell me it doesn't matter. Okay.
1: Yeah, and it's I think we're kind of on the same page about that. And it seems like the front office is also on the same page. Again, this is this is the stuff that Brandon and I have been talking about is all from the interview that he and he he and Dirt did on uh Dirt and Sprague uh on Wednesday morning, which you can get on the you know on the 1080 the fan website or on the podcast feed wherever you get those uh it's, def- it's only a tw- about a 20 minute interview. it's definitely worth going back and listening to and you know I had a piece about it on my site that you know where I pulled out some of the stuff that we talked about and kind of gave my thoughts on it so it's good for everybody, not just us as media guys, but it's good for you, the fan that the front office is willing to actually go on the record with some of this stuff and do interviews with people who aren't just you know state media and whatever else so. This is this is this is all. I think this is all positive. Uh, Brandon, you can, as always, you know, Jack Ramsey's podcast. Danny Marang's been on the show, uh, before, and you know, I imagine both of you guys will be again. And I would imagine I'll probably be on your guys's various shows again in the future. But you know, Jack Ramsey's uh podcast, you can get that on YouTube. You can get that on. Any of the usual podcast platforms, Dirt and Sprague, 6 to 9 a.m. weekdays on 1080 The Fan. That's also on a podcast that you can get on, you know, the podcast feeds. Uh, Brandon, thanks a lot for doing this with me.
0: No, Sean, dude, I, I again, I really appreciate the invite. You're somebody that uh, I think you do some of the best work around the league. Um, you're somebody I've admired from afar. Got to know you a little bit, and it's, it's great always catching up and uh, talking hoops. And I appreciated the post as well uh, taking some of the Q and a, and then also just, I really appreciate you and kind of embedding the actual link to the podcast interview with Cronin. So, uh, thanks for inviting me, man. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure we'll have you on the radio show again. I'm sure, uh, we'll have you on Jack Ramsey's and anytime you need, uh, need me to hop on and talk hoop. uh, I'm down to do it, man.
1: Awesome. All right. And remember for everybody else, uh, Rosegarden Report dot beehive, B E E H I I V dot com. Free and paid subscriptions are available. The podcast you can get on Apple, Spotify, Google, all the usual platforms. We'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening.